Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And today we're going to be discussing John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. Uh, tonight we have a special guest, potentially new cast member with us, Murr. How's it going, Murr? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, it's going great. Uh, my name is David, but my friends call me Murr. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I make industrial music. There we go. How did, how did you decide on Murr? It's a... Uh, it derives from my last name. Oh, okay, cool. There's too many Davids in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, my name's Jonathan, but I, I feel like I don't like having my name shortened. I usually want people to say my full fucking name. Right. <laughs> Anytime they ask me, like, teachers are like, oh, do you prefer John? I'm like, no, you're going to say my whole name. You know, the thing is, I the way I go about it, if you're my friend, you call me Murr. Oh, okay, sick. All right. If you're my coworker, you call me David. Okay. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> right. Hell yeah. <laughs> my Excited. parents call me Murr. <laughs> We're excited to have you on, though. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you coming down to San Diego to 100%. record with us. I mean, I, I mean, we met Murr over at a uh, at a metal show we went to. Yeah, we saw cool. Mork and uh, Tumult at the Brick by Brick. Mork. Correct. Great show. Yeah. Great lineup. Yeah, absolutely. So, Murr, you uh, watched a uh, one of the three of the Apocalypse trilogy of John Carpenter's. Correct. Uh, for this, I had The Thing. Uh, the movie was made in 1982 and directed by John Carpenter. What are um, your, like, initial thoughts on it? I believe it is one of the best sci-fi and horror movies of all time. Um, it did not do well in the box office. Nope. <laughs> it came out the same week as E.T. and Blade Runner. Oh, fuck. And uh, it got shined by E.T. because two alien movies. One's, yeah. One's more family friendly. I didn't know they happen? got released so close together. I can't believe Blade Runner was the same week, too. Yeah. That's wild. That's tough but to fucking get released on that fucking... Was it like a weekend that it got it was, it was just a random week in summer. Oh, okay. It was the Spielberg summer movie. Yeah, fucking Spielberg, asshole. <laughs> he did the same thing with fucking Jaws. It was well, like a started, blockbuster. He started that trend. Yeah, he's the one who like created the blockbuster theme. Yeah. All right. Uh, overall themes, I mean, like thoughts on the movie, uh, a perfect horror movie, a perfect sci-fi movie. You can't go wrong with this one. It keeps you interested, like, almost all the way to the end, where you're still trying to figure out if if the people there are, if one of them is the creature, or if they're actually human. <laughs> it, it does a really great job of playing with the, uh, with the what would, how would I say this, the um, paranoia. Yeah. Paranoia of, like, who is what. I like how, I like, one thing I do know about this movie, because I've seen the thing before, uh, is that in the very beginning, one of, the, one of the things that I like is that the Norwegian guy that's chasing down the dog says says in Norwegian, that's not a dog, it's some sort of thing. And they were being so literally if you know the translation, they spoil wow. the movie for you immediately. Yep. Yeah. That's wild. I yeah. never knew that. Yeah. Uh if you saw the other movie they made for it, people thought it was gonna be a sequel and turns out it's actually a prequel to this movie. Really? Prequel with yeah, C- so, CGI effects. So so <laughs> the dog running in is the very last scene of the movie that got made later. So you can watch them back to back. Yes, and the Nor the, the Norway camp. You yeah. see how that bloody axe gets there. Yep. How the yep. two bodies that are yeah. mangled up on fire. It's all explained. Everything's explained. That's so. They did rad. such a cool job of inserting wow. that in there. Yeah. I mean, it's updated with the CGI, but it's so like it's a good movie, but not nearly as good as the practical effects you get from the right. original thing. And uh, about the practical effects, um, they were done by Rob Botton. And if you know the movie uh, Fright Night, yeah, he would produce Fright Night, and uh, he had a ton of ideas for 
the thing. And the thing is, he started working with John Carpenter on The Fog. He just ran into John Carpenter one day. He's like, hey, I love <laughs> the I loved Halloween. In this movie, do you have anyone that just wears a monster mask? And he's like, <laughs> matter of fact, I do. He is the captain pirate in that movie, you know, like the undead pirate captain. Yes. Oh, wow. And after that, he was like, hey, I, I do special effects. I just, you know, I produce Fright Night. And then he looked at his work. John Carpenter looked at his work and was like, oh, oh this this kid has some stuff. He was 20 years old when he did Fright Night. Oh, wow. 21 to 22 when he did The Thing. And uh, John Carpenter told him, go down to the animation studio, talk to, it was just, I forget the guy's name. He is a famous animator, though, for er, for movies and comics. Okay. And he is like, go to him, tell him every idea, put it in a storyboard. And then that's how we got all the effects from this movie. It all came from his head, from the script, just like, I want this to pop out here. I want this to open up. I want oh, so he had, like, the script in front of him yeah, at that he, point, and he, he was just pulling stuff. He interpreted it to himself to put it from script into uh, pencil oh, so then shit. they could later put it into effects. Oh, man. I would fucking kill to see the storyboards for that. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Oh, man. And the effects, uh, uh, you know, researching wa- and watching the movie, it's just you could see – a lot. I mean, I could talk about certain scenes, correct? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. Spoil the oh, shit yeah. out of the movie. Spoil Every the shit out of it. Every single movie we talk about on here gets spoiled really yeah. hard. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. But perfect. it's old. People should have watched it. Yeah. It's like 40, yeah. 50 years old. Spoiling <laughs> movies is done. Is not spoiling them on a podcast where we discuss the movies. Chances are we want our audience to watch the movie first, probably, yeah. and then look into yeah, our yeah, discussion about good. it. Uh, what first comes to mind is the scene with the stomach opening, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out the, the guy who plays that character had to stay there in that they made a harness <laughs> uh, a harness for him to be in there and they had to keep putting fake sweat on him and uh, he was in there for 10 hours and then they go to do the shot and someone messed up the machi- mechanism and they made the arms out of jello and other kind of prosthetics and all that and they messed up the shot and then John Carpenter was like cut that looked like crap <laughs> and they're just like so you ready man he's like what do you mean you're ready he's like we got to redo the whole shot and he's like, I've been in here for 10 hours. And they're like, <laughs> why, why was he in there for so long? He was just trying to stay in character, stay in the harness, make sure everything would look realistic. Oh, gotcha. And at the same time, that same practical effect, I mean, it's his stomach, you know, his stomach. Yeah. As you see, the guy gets the defibrillator. He, the person on the table had a heart attack, goes in to push it. <laughs> his fucking arms. <laughs> stomach opens, chomps on the arms, and then flails everywhere, ripped. Ripping, yeah, blood totally rips off his arms. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's it's a great scene. But the thing is, uh, someone per- some person came in and they're like, put a put a goddamn shirt on this guy. He's like butt naked on the table, <laughs> fake stomach and everything. It it looked real. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that comes apart uh, in my head is uh, sorry the the other scene that comes to mind is. When the head in the same kind of scene, like I'd say a minute after, yeah, when it's burning and it tears it so- itself apart. Oh, yeah. And then it goes on the floor and it sprouts the legs. Yeah, the legs come out from it and Love then it looks like some scene, weird dude. little toy yeah. like running across the floor. So the head, um, they made it out of a bunch of materials and they were going to go for the shot. But then John Carpenter was like, hey, didn't we have fire in the prior shot? 
And they're like, yeah, we did have fire in the prior shot. <laughs> they're like, okay, well, for continuity's sake, we should put fire in there again for the shot. And John, uh, was it Josh or John Bottom, the guy who did the Yeah. Thing? Yeah, he was just like, okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah, let's, let's do that. <laughs> the fire comes out. They do the scene. Head fucking explodes. The, the practical effect explodes. <laughs> and... Uh, get a goddamn fucking fire extinguisher that didn't work at all uh, <laughs> and he's like oh he he felt like a fool in that did like, you watch like special uh like um what is it the editions the what what is that shit called uh, yeah like the special features there of, you like, go the movie did you watch like special features or read an article or like you uh, just i watched i did watch uh one of the special feature uh, okay kind cool of films that they made about it yeah it's about an hour long or so okay but um it did talk about a lot of things the thing is like for me with horror, practical effects are the way to go. Yeah, for I, sure. CGI can work, but all in all, for me, well, CGI for all of the like, body horror stuff, like it's right. definitely a good thing to choose. I, I I would like to bring up one other special effect that I love from the thing, which is yeah. one of the first ones that they do, one of the first really gnarly ones, which is the dog, the dog head one, where the dog sits there and it like turns to the camera, like, like <laughs> jittering, and then its face like splits open and the skull falls out, and it's just like and that. It's like I flower, love pretty much. Yeah, it's it's <sighs> just like it's a beautiful blossoming like. That like, was like the Demogorgon to... before they thought yeah. of that idea. one hundred percent. Yeah, they yeah. totally. Stranger like, Things they got yeah. shit on the thing, yo. Well, they, <laughs> mu- they must have. They must have had some inspiration from something yeah, like definitely. that because it's an eighties TV series. Mm-hmm. So definitely. like they were probably like, yeah, we got to get something like this in here. Mm-hmm. And the, and the John Carpenter, he, I mean, that practical effect, 100% well done. It was actually a puppet. Oh, nice. It was actually, it had yeah. someone under the four floorboards running with the puppet. Oh, okay. With just like moving, yeah. moving everything. I love that. Naturally. And it, it's just a creepy, creepy I love thing. seeing all the behind the scenes pictures where they can like, you can see the rest of the scene right. and not just what they're focusing on. And it's always somebody behind the scenes doing stuff or they're like, you see someone like leaning over with the mic and like trying to get it just in place, but like not in the camera's view. So I love seeing shit like that. So I right. should, I should watch more special features for John Carpenter stuff. Cause I'm sure he runs into all sorts of problems. Yeah. The thing is for me, this movie is really heavy on effects. So I wanted to look in and see how they do those effects. Right. And it's, it's from a legend. That guy. What else was, did he end up doing? Do you know? He ended up doing RoboCop. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I love and RoboCop. like I said, he produced, uh, Friday night. And okay. that's that's one of the better where Man, Robocop like, just had limbs getting blown off all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like half the movie. Like, ah! yeah. <laughs> just screaming, screaming while they lose their limbs. Yeah. That's uh, hilarious. Does anything else come to mind for that one? Um I just had a basic synopsis and my thoughts about no, the yeah. movie. Well, yeah, but, what are your thoughts about it? Because I, mean, I, got, I got a bunch of them for this yeah, movie. Yeah, honestly. The thing is, it leaves a lot to imagination and a lot to decipher for people. And the thing is, everyone's different. A lot of this movie is the anxiety of knowing who is the thing right. or where the thing is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very uncomfortable movie when you look at the interactions between people. Some people don't like others. Some get along really well. I find that the character Windows, the guy with the curly hair and the glasses, yeah, he's liked from a lot of people in the beginning, but then eventually they're like, where the fuck is Windows? They're just <laughs> like, where is this guy? Yeah. And uh, some of the shots are perfectly, like, they're they're great. Like, the blood test scene. Oh, yes. That, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a whole can of worms. Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to figure out how the hell they did it. 
Like, I would really want to know how they did something like that. With it practical might be like a quick cut, probably. Yeah, like a quick it cut was. to a scene of it just popping out, basically. Yeah. Something along those or lines. maybe it was already like out and they and like you said, they did a quick cut to yeah, it they already just out. Cut to it. Yeah, yeah, like basically have him hold it there and be like, All right, hold it, now stick the thing on there. You no, know, they Good. didn't talk about that effect, but maybe I I'm thinking, what if they had a fake mechanical arm? Oh that's shit. also possible. That makes a lot yeah. of sense, huh? Put it in there whole thing pops out yeah that's oh, my, shit that'd be yeah cool. that's a good that's but a good the best that. part about that scene i think is when he's going for the blood and he has the hot iron and the needle oh right it, yeah hits it okay uh you're safe and then the next shot it's that guy who was yep. in the chair now doing the blood test for someone else yeah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay you're safe you, you could help me right they keep doing it uh didn't they establish other ways to like determine if people were like actually people i think one of them was like if you had metal fillings or something yes in the 2011 they put in the canon that if you have metal fillings or piercings the thing cannot replicate inanimate objects yeah or anything that's not like or uh, what is it organic like basically flesh human mm-hmm. flesh and bone and, and stuff like that they didn't really talk about that in the original but um no they totally expanded on it they did expand it on it but there are some theories as well because there's a theories that child the um, what was his name? I have his name written down. <laughs> Keith David. Okay. Keith David, who was also in uh, John Carpenter's movie They Live. Yeah. Another fantastical movie. Yeah, we uh, need to do that one soon. 100%. I, you know, the cool thing that John Carpenter, uh, that I mean, in the movie that I reviewed as well, Mouth of Madness, he also he seems to do a lot with like the evil hidden within authority. Yeah. Or the he- evil hidden within like normalcy. Yep. sort of deal so you have like the thing where there's like people who are just look like normal people but they have something evil hidden behind them <laughs> you know and in the and then they live it's like the you know the wealthy and those who are in like the authorities also have like the evil hidden within them the as well he did it in yeah, Prince of Darkness sort of as well yeah yeah oh and it's also in Mouth of Madness in yep. a way as well yeah. too so he definitely deals with similar themes which also mm. makes sense considering he ended up being like this is like a trilogy like a spiritual also trilogy. the time period too like yeah. the 80s and whatnot you got a lot of like that like that's like your old school social justice stuff in yeah, a way and whatnot exactly. and like a focus on that idea well I mean they were sort of dealing with what like the the post-war era where they're like against authority and they were sort of like that was leaking into all of the media content that was being made during that time so it makes sense he would pick up on something like that and then bring it into all three of the films for for the thing though what i liked a lot about it was uh you become suspicious of everybody in the movie oh yeah even if you had favorites you kind of are wondering if it's this person if it's that person and as soon as they find things out you're finding out with them Mm -hmm. So there's nothing you really know beforehand before the the people there. Um, besides maybe a scene or two where it cuts and you're like, oh, shit, this guy disappeared. I don't know where he went. And then like it comes back and you're still in the viewpoint of the other characters. And so everyone becomes unreliable well, like through the whole movie. And there's small, small little clues that they drop in to figure it out, like the breath coming out from their mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, the yes, cold. in the ending scene. Yeah, where you're like, oh, fuck, it's not. <laughs> yeah, they uh, – I don't know if you're going to – were you going to say something? Oh, okay. So – a big part of it, uh, I think it was the producer, he went to the effects guy and said, I want people to subtly notice this. Yeah. Just this one thing. It was a tiny shimmer in the eyes. Oh, really? And if you see everyone who has a shimmer in their eyes, like the little lens glare from the camera, they are human. If oh, you do cool. not, they are the thing. And it works for every single Man, person. Man, I got to look back and... Got to go watch yeah, it Yeah, go look at it again. Look yeah, Holy 100% crap. look out for that. But the thing is... 
uh, Keith David, the guy who plays Childs, the, the person with him when the you know the whole place is burned down. Right. And you you can't see his breath. At the same time, he doesn't have a shimmer in his eye. McCready does. Yeah. Or uh, we didn't even mention that Kurt Russell was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell gets enough attention. No, I'm yeah. just <laughs> right. Right. So so yeah, obviously Kurt Russell's in it, and he's like the main star for it, and ends up being like I would say like the protagonist really for the right. most of the movie. Um, but like, what sort of happens? So how how do they even get into the scenario? The dog runs in. They sort of figure out that it's something is wrong the they take the dog in they just let it kind of roam around for a little yeah they're just, they're just taking it in yeah, yeah. they don't you think trust a dog and then who doesn't trust a dog clark take it to the take it to the rest of the dogs yeah okay there you go and that's when it starts figuring things out maybe eats a few dogs <laughs> yeah that, that's one of the most hard scenes to watch none of the dogs in survive movie. in that one yeah especially i mean like there's there's straight up dog murder in that yep. yeah uh, I think the only thing I didn't fully understand about the creature itself is did it need to eat other things to get bigger? Or it, did it just like infect something else and then it, it also lived in that too? To my knowledge, it digest it like digests one of the creatures, takes genetic material, and then morphs itself into them. Okay. I don't believe that it makes more of itself. I don't think that it clones itself. Yeah, I don't think it ever. I like, think it like yeah. it like it's shapeshifter. It's one thing, right? It swallows it whole and becomes it. Yeah, yeah. there you go. So it was trying, it tries, it like throws out multiple tendrils trying to grab onto as many of the dogs yeah. as it can because it probably knows it can only grab like one of them. But, it, you know, <laughs> you know, you put more eggs into your basket, you get possibility of success, you know. I keep, I keep <laughs> thinking, I keep relating it to the monsters in Stranger Things. But that <laughs> yeah. one got bigger. That one got bigger. Yeah. With all of it, the stuff the, that it the collected. Mind flare. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it kept collecting like rats and other animals and shit. Mm -hmm. But. That's interesting. I also like the subtlety of adding in certain clues because it almost makes it rewatchable over and yeah, over again. This where you can look is for a rewatchable film for sure, and it gets better with every viewing. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't seen it until recently because I rewatched it again, except I rewatched it without making any notes or anything for it because I've seen it before. Yeah. Uh, I love Kurt Russell and anything he's in because he just chooses the weirdest roles. You know what's crazy about Kurt, Kurt Russell's character? I saw this. Um, in the beginning of the movie, He's playing chess against a computer. Yes. And he loses against the computer. And he says, fucking bitch, bitch cheated. <laughs> yeah. Then he throws his scotch yeah, onto, onto the computer. Then I realized, oh, yeah, the thing cheated. The thing changed form. The thing changed around. What was his solution? Gasoline on that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Similar solution. Yeah. Dump stuff all over it. Right. That's a good like character, like a good like moment to like like a what is it? Not really development, but like him staying in character, like yeah. still being like that was well written. Is what I mean. Uh, I feel like he's always playing Kurt Russell in every movie he's in. He's never really like Kurt Russell. He's, he's one of those Kurt people Russell. that like he's just always himself in most of the movies. He only slightly adjusts to what's going on, and he just kept getting typecasted like that. That's why Tarantino puts him in like basically the same role anytime he's in one of his yeah, movies. Yeah, and he was in Escape from New York and L.A. I fucking love those movies. Great movies. <laughs> <laughs> They're so ridiculous, like the most random shit. It's it's basically what Mad Max would be if he was in the city. Oh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like slightly less apocalyptic. We need you to find the president in this terrible rundown town. Right. Got it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He's like, got it. I'm Kurt good. Russell. <laughs> he just walks away. Also, Bruce Campbell appears in one of those. What? I think it's uh, Escape from New York. 
he's like a mad scientist in it. It's really funny. Oh, they awesome. put like a fake chin on him. <laughs> 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 and he's like trying to cut open Kurt Russell's character with his like eye patch and everything. So it's worth a watch. You should definitely go watch those. Um, um, go ahead. Uh, going back. So uh, they find the creature of the dog. Yeah. And then they set out to go see what's up with that Norway camp. Yeah. And they find pretty much all the dead bodies is yeah. what they find. And yep. they're trying to figure out how they got killed. Uh, the, the newer movie that got made answers every single kill. You get to see exactly what happened. So like watching that movie after watching the original, you kind of know what's going to happen. Oh, one of the crazy ones is the guy that slits his wrists. Yeah. Oh, seeing the, the, the blood frozen in still. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I think his arm is like dangling to the side and the blood is frozen but it's still like a bright red when they go and look at it. So it's an interesting effect. And then they go back and then uh, more stuff happens, I believe. I believe it takes over, not Clark, it takes over George. Yeah, one. It, this is when it starts getting into the people and then they start questioning each other on yeah. what's oh, a method or they do can they figure out. they go to out. the alien site and find the UFO? They, they put the dog away, I believe, first. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the movie recently, but I remember they put the dog away. They go investigate the camp because they found out that's where the helicopter came from. Right. Right. And then they, like, find basically, like, a, like frozen, burned remains, and, like, the whole camp's just been wrecked. All the shit. There's the big bloody axe as well, that <laughs> scene. Um, and then they're just kind of like, what the hell happened here? And then I think they just, like, well, something awful must have happened, clearly. Well, let's get the fuck out of here because, no you know sort of deal and then they go back to their camp and then um the thing with the dogs happens and that's like the crazy one i want to say happens like directly after that um there's also a really like subtle thing they do where they like there's a really like silent moment where nothing really happens just the dog walking down the hallway and it just kind of goes and hangs out in someone's room yeah and that's it and i and i always like imagine that the dog like infected that other person yes, there. yes i think that's what they were implying with that yeah scene. exactly or maybe like trying to leave you on edge like no now the parent this is how they build the paranoia they don't show you everything well you have to then so at some point they show you how exactly people are getting infected and then you have to go back to the rest of the film you've already seen and, and put things together and be like oh, okay the dog went in at that point so it must have happened at that point yeah and so then you start thinking about what's happened so far and has somebody been infected and this is where you start getting the paranoia for the audience and you're figuring out who where it's spread to and who has it and like who's left basically the humans that are going to survive right and the paranoia grows with every scene yeah I mean, it starts slow like um, ramps the fuck up like yeah. in the middle of the movie yeah, it, start, it starts slow like windows he just runs yeah. and goes and grabs a shotgun everyone's like put the gun down or i'll kill you and they're like okay okay that was great though when he he gets the gun he's like i'm not dealing with any of you fucking people like what's going on and they're like whoa dude like you need to calm down <laughs> and then uh, a couple scenes later dr blair i think so oh man absolutely i mean they're they're checking out you know stuff outside they notice that someone sabotaged their helicopter someone yep. sabotaged their tractors and they hear a gunshot, and then they go, and everyone's in the hallway like, don't go in there. Don't go in there, Dr. Blair. He's freaking out. He's waving a gun. He has an <laughs> axe. He's like, I'm going to kill anyone that comes in here because he is he's freaking out. I mean, um, we talk about the themes of the Apocalypse trilogy now, yeah? Yeah, go oh, for yeah, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so it. the thing is, uh, what, I, what I thought about this movie was the themes of the uh, following, what is the trilogy called? The, the Apocalypse, Apocalypse trilogy. trilogy. The Apocalypse trilogy. It has to deal with a lot of self. Yeah. You're looking out for yourself and you're not really paying attention to the next person around you. Uh, often with apocalypse films, we find that people are more selfish. You know, I have to make sure I have my ammo 
make sure I have my food. Make oh sure yeah, I have totally. My water. People and then sometimes the, some people don't even know if they are infected. They question it, and that scene with the blood. I mean, like you, you could literally see on those. Uh, character spaces am i infected i don't know uh, yeah they're kind of unsure themselves too right. and it's a great play up for the monster and, and like thinking oh i don't know what's going on <laughs> right, right. yeah i'm totally not yeah, the monster exactly. <laughs> <laughs> eats them like next year. yeah and then kills them 100 percent. and uh there's a part where um dr blair he's on his computer he's reading up on the uh on the species and it says um, you know, the infected species, if contain, if not contained, can take over the world in less than 27,000 hours. Yeah, they had like a guesstimate. Yeah, a guesstimate. Of what would happen if the creature just got away from that like isolated. So camp. It, it becomes a rat race to try to keep this from going out into the real right. world. I mean, if I understand the ending right, uh, it did. Yeah. Yeah, it totally got yeah, there and was like to. killed everyone and it's ready to like move on. Cuz it can survive in the snow. Yeah. And whether McCready or Childs were infected or not infected or both infected, that's the thing. It could survive in the snow, so by the time that the people come back for the rescue, it's already taken a new host. Yeah. And then it could probably survive up until it gets to like a more main city and just spread out like that. But it's definitely in line with the sort of apocalypse theme of this is what's going to happen to everybody right? <laughs> and then just keep spreading and things like that. It's like, it ends up becoming, I don't know, an epidemic. What's the one that's uh, all over the world. Is it pandemic or epidemic? Uh, pandemic. I think pandemic is the one that's all over the world. The only reason why I know that is because there was a board game called pandemic, which in which <laughs> you, you play as a virus taking over the entire There's world. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. <laughs> it's called virus Inc. It's a lot there of you fun. Go. You have awesome. to kill the entire world. <laughs> Amazing. Very cool. That's cool. That's interesting. It also makes me think about how he really did cross over themes from all three films. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing to me was, it had a lot to do with body horror. So things that might happen to yourself and it'll morph you and change you. And people are usually really afraid when they see the human body get disfigured for any reason, really. But especially when it comes back to life in a different form, things that you're not used to seeing limbs in different places. Teeth. Very Lovecraft. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was touching really strongly on the idea that the creatures were going to take whatever, take control, of whatever host it was and change it and then pretty much assimilate everything. For that one, it was definitely all about the assimilation because the one creature was taking over everything. And then even more than that, he loves building paranoia amongst people and showing, like you mentioned, that selfishness from people that are going to want to survive on their own. Because I saw it in Prince of Darkness too, where people were really only caring about themselves. With the exception of me, like one or two people who were like, they had sex and they're in love with each other or some shit. And it's like, they, do, they always insert stuff like that. I do appreciate that the, the thing didn't really have some crazy strong romance. Yeah, that was the thing. Uh, he really wanted to make sure that this was an all-male cast. He didn't want to have, you know, he didn't want a love interest. He didn't want females there because he wanted it to be, this is man. This is man when it gets scared. There it is. I wonder if it could be considered then maybe a short critique of men and masculinity. Could be definitely, or just like the, the human condition in general. Yeah. If you if you subscribe to the idea that our society is vastly patriarchal in a way, then if you then that makes a lot of sense. None of them win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> mostly because dies. they're all selfish. 
My vision, honestly. no one wins. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Also, there's a lot of scenes where they kind of butt heads, so it's like that's a really good portrayal of a lot of men trying to work together. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm going to be the one in charge. We're going to figure yeah. it out. and then Or wanting, like, the glory. <laughs> yeah, and none of it and works. Wanting, yeah, and nope, nope, none of it works. That's pretty funny and interesting. Did you have any final thoughts about it? Um, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. And uh, it may, you know, may have not done good at the box office, but the cult following that it has gained yeah, and the notoriety sure. from – the acting and effects. I mean, it's a great movie. I I, I agree. Like, if not even just as a cult movie or horror, it's just a good movie. Yeah, like people it's well done. I've I did a movie night with some of my one of my nerd friends not too long ago, and basically we <laughs> like picked the thing for that evening because like seventy five percent of them have never seen it. Oh wow! And it had been a while since I'd watched it too. And we all sat down watching. Everyone walked out like that was a good fucking movie. It was a good movie. That was a good fucking movie. Like that wasn't like I didn't think I would like that movie, and it was really fucking good. And they're yeah, so absolutely. Check and it out. Imagine seeing that and then seeing Blade Runner right after. I mean, geez. yeah. <laughs> Blade Runner is still so good. What I give. What I give. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Same weekend, you go and watch those. Fuck. Yeah. In theaters, that's fucking awesome. I would also recommend you watch the the newer movie that got made in was it 2011? Talking about uh, 2049. No, no the oh. the new oh thing yes movie. the new thing movie. Well, they called it the thing. Yep. They didn't really change anything about the title. I think it was purposely to mislead people into thinking that it was some sort of a sequel, but it ended up not being a sequel. It was a totally a prequel to the original, and it pleasantly surprised a lot of people. You know, despite the CGI effects, right? It's, it, it's still it, it pretty explains good a lot of the story and a lot of the underlining. I really did enjoy the the practical effects in the original compared to that one, but it was a it was already the bar was set high with the yep. first movie. So for that movie to be like coming out and trying to live up to that it did a good job by not being a sequel <laughs> because most people fucking hate sequels yeah. um unless it's like aliens and but like <laughs> you know <laughs> shit like that um so the second movie like technically like in the chronology of him making the movies was the one that i watched which was prince of darkness um and it came out in 1987 so how many years after a couple years five five years um the essential plot of the story is that there is an old priest who dies suddenly with a little box and it has a key inside of it. And it turns out that he has been guarding this tube filled with liquid that is basically like the Prince of Darkness. It's like uh, not Lucifer, but like the son of Satan. And supposedly he was so powerful that they locked him away in this tube as like some liquid and then put him in this place and there's been Catholic priests guarding him since. And that's the like the main premise of the story. And so there, when the old priest dies, another priest comes to check out what's going on and realizes that no one's there to guard this thing. But he also wants people to know what it is. So he enlists the help of a college professor or university professor, brings him in with a bunch of college students for some fucking reason. And they decide to stay in the facility where the tube is being kept overnight. And everything happens in one night. And basically what it is is the, the tube is, like, conscious, like, what's inside of it. Takes over a person, same idea that the thing has. Takes over people, and it takes over every single person, and then it's trying to open a gateway to let the Prince of Darkness out. Um, they don't succeed, but one girl does, like, sacrifice herself, basically, and, like, jumps in with the creature, and then they smash the mirror that it was going through, and then it sort of just ends like that. He's like, we stopped it for now, but he's still there waiting for everybody. But it had similar themes. Some of the, yeah, it seems like it seems like it has that theme of of uh, losing your autonomy yeah. to some to a foreign entity. Well, they they 
connected it really hard to Catholicism and to that religion. And even the priest is like remorseful about keeping a secret. And so, like, I almost wonder if he was critiquing something about the Catholic Church or, like, because, like, they, obviously they've had problems with, like, pedophilia and other things like that that have been going on. Or lying keeping is, secrets, lying to the lying public. Is, yeah, well, lying is a huge is a huge no-no in a lot of Orthodox religions like that. Right. So it makes sense. I actually like that a lot that they decided to make a priest character remorseful for lying yeah. about protecting humanity. Yeah, exactly. And he feels bad about, like, I should probably tell the world about this, but no, yeah. I will keep it to myself. Well, because... he will, the, it's interesting because the way that he wants to prove it to everybody is by using science to like explain the things that are happening that's pretty odd and the science was pretty spot on like there wasn't really anything that i was like nah that sounds unbelievable but they were getting into it and like they get in they like try to carbon date whatever is on the like tube itself and they're like this is like seven thousand years old what are you talking about how is this possible and then they're like no it must be wrong like something's wrong with the machines and they have all this like testing equipment and they start telling you all the numbers some girls like translating a book from like latin and it's like some it's basically like the the like biblical shit that you'd find in the beginning of the bible where it's like all the genesis stuff where it's like oh and this happened and this happened or this is going to happen and it's essentially talking about like they give you like a rundown of what it is supposedly in their fake lore that like is right next to christianity and catholicism uh jesus is an alien (laughs) he's like not human and he gets sent by god who is sending him to earth to warn people about the anti-god which is the son of satan and that jesus's purpose was to stop him from showing up which he did which is why he left but then didn't consider that he could be brought back again and then that's why there's been priests keeping it a secret because they didn't know when Jesus was going to come back. <laughs> and so that's what the whole fucking story is about. And it's really weird. Uh, question I have. Do they explain how the Prince of Darkness is put into a liquid inside a tube? Nope. They somehow they, they say that like they figure out a way to seal them up and then they seal them in this tube, which I don't I think I think the hardest part I had to believe in this movie was that they had this like glass tube in whatever time period that they had made it before because i don't think glass making was that easy at a certain point so i was like they just had like this sci-fi modern tube when they put them in there which is hilarious because that's like the most hard like that's the hardest thing for me to believe when they like spit into each other's mouth and that's how they like assimilate people (laughs) so it's just like whatever (laughs) like it's no big deal i always pick something like that though there's always a small detail where i'm like this is bullshit (laughs) my why is why is alice cooper stabbing someone right why does that happen so so (laughs) (laughs) i i gotta know so yeah i gotta know what happens is when all the students get there and they get into the building uh the the entity that's inside the prince of darkness gets all the vagrants around the building to keep people from leaving and so a dude tries to leave and he basically he doesn't say a single line in the movie he just like gives like a really mean stare and then the dude tries to leave and he comes up with like a half bicycle mm-hmm. it's like the the back tire and then like the middle piece of it and he just like stabs him makes a weird face and then the dude just falls forward and like is bouncing on the wheel it's kind of comical but it was (laughs) like and then they're like oh okay and they all start noticing that all the vagrants are like standing around they just stand there and stare and they're like oh okay i guess we can't really like leave anywhere there's so many like i can't wait to talk about can't wait to talk about madness because there's like this this theme of like the public turning on the heroes yes they're like this interesting bit like like the public being misled into going after the heroes 
and whatnot. And it's a really like more of like an assimilation thing. Though. Oh yeah, totally. Well, it's interesting that they brought in the vagrants and all the people who are outside and homeless and things like that mm-hmm. as the people to kind of become the defense or like the people that are kind of patrolling and being the authority in that sense, because these are the people that everyone sort of ignores. And yeah. it, it's a direct parallel to like Satan himself being like expelled and not like being part of the original. And he's considered like anti-God. Like he is like the direct opposite when really like you look at the original story, he just got expelled because he was asking for like similar powers. That's like really the original story where he was like, God has a lot of cool powers. Can we have those powers? And God was like, fuck no. And then why'd you give them down. to man? Yeah. Why'd you treat man so fucking, why'd yeah. you treat humans so fucking cool? And he was like, you know what, Lucifer, I've had enough of your whining and your bitching. Go get in your fiery hole over there. Well, technically he hole. threw him to earth and then, oh, yeah. and then he went and was like, oh, I'm going to go live under earth and then create it <laughs> and created his own domain. That is the correct. And that's how he ended up going with that. But either way, they ended up connecting the people like that. Um, but it was the only unbelievable part for me or the part of the script that I didn't like was the rushed romance between two main characters, which are like university students, which uh-huh. was like it was so unnecessary for the plot. It, it probably drives it nowhere, right? It's well, just, I mean, oh, maybe a little bit. The girl he falls in love with is the one who sacrifices herself at the end. She like dives into the portal with the with the. So essentially, what the entity does is it like goes into one person so that they can open a portal, and then they can pull someone through. So that person that they infect, she like grabs that person and throws them into the portal with her, and then they smash the mirror, and that's how they close the portal. And so she ends up being like one of the main characters at the end who kind of like martyrs herself. But there didn't need to be a connection with the dude. Like we'll feel bad regardless. Like I don't feel bad because his lover died. (laughs) Like I don't really care about that kind of shit. So it would have been good without that. At the very least, it does not have any like sex scenes that were unnecessary. They just skipped to the morning and they're like in bed together. I'm like, okay, that's simple. Yeah. You can just assume. (laughs) Yeah. So, so this being a John Carpenter film, we didn't talk about it for the thing, but music. How is the music in this movie? It's, like, really good. I, I think the music was probably where he spent the most of his time <laughs> uh, because I don't, I don't believe he wrote Prince of Darkness. I think he just directed and then did the music. So he kind of got brought in to lead everything. Um, and the story was kind of like the scripts, their lines were believable, but the story was kind of too out there. For it to really be like, I'm going to pay attention the entire time. Do you think it's too out there for the time? Or do you think... Probably for now. I think people, when they were watching it, they're probably like, yeah, this is pretty legit. But I do have to say that it didn't do very well. It didn't do well in the box office. And even critical reviews of it were kind of like, it's it's all right. Like, it's not John Carpenter's best movie. But, I mean, he had already made good movies. So they were, like, judging him really hard for that one. Uh, but the music's really good, and it fits into like the '80s like synth music that you usually hear in his movies. It also reminded me of like It Follows, like that similar kind of music, and he did a really good job with it. I wouldn't say don't go watch it. Okay. Like you should definitely like check it out, but you might not. You might kind of like zone out for a second. It, it's sounding like this one might be one of the lesser of the three, like the not as yeah. fun one to watch. Yeah, the thing is amazing, keeps yeah. you interested all the way through. Um, whereas this one, you're kind of like, okay, I get what's going on, like what's what's going to happen because they're sort of they're sort of non-threatening for most of the movie uh there's just a few brief moments when they're trying to like bring someone in and assimilate them so the way they do it is by like getting fluid into their body so 
<laughs> there's like it looks like a spray bottle out of their mouth is what it looks like like wow. like you know when you turn the little nozzle so that it does like so it does the wide spray it, no no it, it's like the, the very like specific like targeting spray it's like a little stream of water oh yeah that's what it, they dead ass open their <laughs> mouth they open their mouth and they're fucking just yeah it looks like somebody's standing next to them with a squirt bottle and just fucking <laughs> did that that's exactly what it looked like to me and it made me laugh so much but it's like but it, but they did that with the rest of the people the only one that didn't have that happen was a dude who like sort of cuts his own throat and then you end up having like it gets in his throat somehow so that was like the only other one but either way i think i think what was interesting was the larger themes that it had for it because it mentions one thing it mentions is like a supernova which is like a new discovery during the 80s whenever they were looking at something like that. Wow. And then he also discusses um, what time means to all of us and how we sort of all experience the same things together. And we've decided that this is the thing that is. So like a second passing is a second for everybody. And we've decided on this ruling. But there's nothing else really to back that up besides all of us just agreeing to it. And so they really get at the idea that uh, all of the rules that we think exist in the universe are just things that we've decided on and are not for sure set. And then we don't really have a grasp on what the universe is like, especially off of Earth. That makes sense. So like, oh, hey, we have this concept of time and reality, but that's only because we all agree upon it. Yes, exactly. What was really funny is they ended up mentioning uh, that Schrodinger's cat theory, which we've talked about before. Essentially, the cat in the box that is both alive and dead at the same time. Mm-hmm. They mentioned that in the movie. And they're like discussing it, like university students are discussing it. So they mention that one, and then they also mention um, time relativity, and then they also get into like the professor who teaches. Uh, it's like an old Japanese man. I can't remember his name, but uh, I love '80s movies because you have all sorts of diverse casts, and everyone can speak English perfectly. There's no accents or nothing, and it always cracks me up because it's like they just had a look, and that was it. There was never any sort of like voice changing for what they were doing. So you see this guy and it's a Japanese guy. And as much as I don't want to stereotype, I wanted him to have a certain accent. And he speaks like perfect English, a really deep voice. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. And he's a university professor. So he's like doing a lecture and you get a little bit of his lecture. And that's what it's about where he's like, these are all things you guys have decided on. I need you to like put them on hold while we go and look at things. Because while they're looking at the tube and the water's coming out of it, it's like the gravity's reversed. The water's like going to the ceiling okay. as opposed to like coming down. So like there's like a puddle of water on the ceiling. So it's interesting that it, that they decided to do something like that and to to explore those topics because they didn't get explored like by accident really. Yeah, not mu- not much talk about those kind of things in the '80s for sure. Um, they also kept focusing in, and I d- I don't think I can explain it. So maybe you guys can make sense of it. They kept focusing in on the sun and the moon. And they kept getting shots of, like, the sun during the day and then the moon really close to it, where you can see, like, a crescent moon or something like that. And I wasn't sure if this had some sort of symbology for anything or if it was just something they wanted you to pay attention to. It could be a representation of, like, of like rising and falling action or something along those lines, trying to, like, a sig- like something That's to a good signify point. to signify different parts of the movies. Like, films do that a lot. Like uh, when we talked about Black Christmas, how this, how the opening and closing of the attic, that. I love it too. Opening and closing of the attic signified when the action was happening, and then we were going to have a die down of action. It was every time. I would have to double check on that, but I think you're right. It yeah. could have been the signaling of the axe. That's just a theory. I don't know for well, sure. Well, there's only three of them. Okay. So it could oh. very well be the three acts 
that you find mm-hmm. in movies and yeah. films. So that's probably exactly what it is. Now I think about it. Yeah, so that's pretty good, good then. Yeah. yeah. Shit. I didn't even think I, about I didn't like watch that. the movie. But. There's also <laughs> something. There's something cool in the movie where. So they explain like some sort of some sort of signal being sent out. They basically theorize that people from the future figured out that they could send a message back in time by sending some sort of like um, frequency that could then be picked up by people's brains while they were sleeping because it's in a certain pattern that's happening while you're sleeping and you're more open to the frequencies that are coming in. Oh, wow. And so so they figured out a way to transmit their message into your dream. So everyone who's in this house is experiencing the same dream, which is like they show you what it is. So like the person dreaming is like there's a narrator and it's like, this is not a dream. What you're receiving is a broadcast from whatever. And we need you to do this. And so they, they basically give them like instructions on how to get rid of the Prince of Darkness. And so it's interesting because then they, you have to assume then that he was released again and that they were sending instructions back to help these people. That That's interesting that you say that because uh, a, a lot of times with dreaming, I mean, there's REM sleep and there's deep REM sleep. Right. And the thing is, when you're in that deep REM, uh, you are, you know, you are susceptible to certain vibrations and noises. That's why when you like yep. listen to motivational yeah, cassettes really. or like other kinds of things when you're like about to fall asleep, they hit you more when you're in actual sleep. Or it could also relate to lucid dreaming. Yeah. Know? Well, there's like videos online that have like a certain frequency. Mm-hmm. And you can just listen to that. It doesn't sound like music or anything, really. It's just like a like it sounds like a hum sometimes. And supposedly these frequencies can help you like feel better. Probably like different kinds of things like stress. Yeah, like stress relief. You know, if you're feeling like depressed or if you're like trying to improve your mood, like overall, you can find all these things and listen to it. Although I'm always too panicked that it's like a jump scare. Right. So I just never like I've never tested them out. You know, uh, on the the thought of like speaking about sound waves and stuff, I was a. you know, fooling around with a recorder yeah. and I was playing and I was looking at my fan, see those kind of waves and all that. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to look at this at work and my work is very loud, all kinds of stuff. Oh, I'm just like, gotcha. Maybe like, you know, these are, this is what my work sounds like. These are the waves that they create. Yeah. I feel way more stressed out when I'm here than when I'm in my room. Oh yeah. My Cause of all the like, what, what kind of job do you, I do uh, machine working and welding. So oh, for sure. Very abrupt, loud noises. Industrial kind yeah. of just crazy stuff. And I'm just like, I wonder if, you know, all these vibrations, they lead to a stress because they are not because of loudness, but because of the way that they are made in wavelengths. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Makes sense why you make industrial then if you're going to work in an industrial setting. <laughs> I was about to say that. I was like, I like that you work like a really blue collar job and you also make industrial music. That, that's that's what I want to do with the music. I mean, I in the music itself, I had recorded and put it in there as well. And then we just, we chop it up, make some make some beats out of it. That's fucking cool. Hell yeah. It's a lot of fun, <laughs> for sure. I, I, as everyone knows, I love the fuck out of music and I want to talk about music all the time. But 100%. Always. <laughs> Um, I think also what was interesting for the film was the ending. So you get to the very end of the film. They manage to seal away the Prince of Darkness once more. And the main character, the guy, goes home and experiences the dream that he was experiencing inside of the place. So the, the dream wave frequency? The dream wave frequency get, hits him again. And he wakes up and he sees like uh, the the girl who got dragged into the portal. Except like she's 
basically falling apart like her flesh and everything is coming off and she's like in the bed next to him that was the final jump scare that they give you nikami so good and they so she shows up in his bed and he like fucking screams and gets up and then looks again and she's not there anymore and then he goes over to the mirror and gets up really close and he starts reaching out to the mirror like to touch it but before he touches the mirror it cuts to black and that's the end of the movie so you don't know you don't know if uh if the mirror has something to do with it because they they establish that the mirrors are portals and that if you have enough energy focused into it that you could transfer through and so i think what they're suggesting then is that because of what happened to him that he may be able to go through the portal but they don't explain it somewhat like a force sensitive kind of person uh sort of but it's also like this theme of mirrors has been pretty common, even like amongst people who try to scare other people. Like there's many stories that exist that the mirrors can be portals to something. Like you fucking take, what is it, acid or mushrooms or something, and you oh, just don't yes. go look at a mirror because it might fuck with you really badly. <laughs> so it's like those kinds of themes and like the idea that, uh, but also it was dealing with like the mirrored self and them saying that like, the the prince of darkness wasn't like a like an, a being of his own he was just an anti-god like he was everything that god wasn't so to them the mirror could have been showing them like them the anti-self of them so it could be like something really evil yeah that's that's uh the theme of mirrors is like a big common thing in uh old folklore yeah as well oh as, definitely uh i mean obviously you have the demons of yourself when you look at yourself say on a psychedelic you're dealing with <laughs> looking at yourself in the truest of nature. Like, it's a lot for a lot of people. But at the same time, I was thinking uh, back in the day, I mean, with old folklore, they would believe that uh, you could capture demons within mirrors. Yes. That you could, like, I mean, they do they it do in it the, in the Constantine. Yes, I was about to say yeah. it. I yeah. was like, they do it exactly in Constantine. And if you haven't seen that scene, I mean, we're on the subject of mirrors. It's Check it out. Such a good fucking movie, and too. He, I believe he gets on the, the ceiling right and he, he puts uh, the so the girl's there. possessed yeah. and he puts a mirror over her yeah. and then basically does like a incantation to bring the monster out of her and then it runs into the mirror and gets stuck there but it can break through the mirror to get out so they have to like throw it out the window and shatter it to get rid of that demon great sequence it also freaks everyone out because they're like demons are not supposed to be able to cross over like into our plane so what the fuck is going on <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good film you should definitely go watch Constantine 100% yeah. um I, I wanted to ask you, uh, since it's the Apocalypse trilogy, how yeah. do you feel that it fits in with the themes of uh, Apocalypse or something of incoming danger like that? So so for them, this evil, this like pure evil is constant and probably can't really be like extinguished. It can't get rid of it. And it exists on like another plane that could possibly bring about like their end of days. So it fits in well with the one assimilating everybody because that's what most evil wants to do. And that's what happens in the thing as well. And then um, I think in the mouth madness has similar themes where like it's dealing. I'll with get that. to that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to it in a moment. But basically um, I think he was presenting different ways that the apocalypse could happen as well as people dealing with themselves and often being the cause of it uh, because there was never really any, to me, there was never really any crazy outside force. Um, the thing sort of suggested that it was aliens, but it was really like us that spread it. Like it, it, it re wasn't intended to be going anywhere really, or it could have been that it like wasn't intended for earth and was probably going somewhere else. 
it isn't like a pro, yeah it isn't like a prometheus kind of thing you know so so mankind being the host for its own destruction is a theme that is yes. found in both of these first two movies yep. you know man That's being a an, a, 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 an outside entity infecting man and then man spreading that to all of the other men <laughs> And then ruining humanity for everybody. I mean, that's such a that's like a common story that you'll find yeah. in most mm-hmm. tragedies, where really the main theme, the main character gets taken down, usually because of a flaw that they have, but also a flaw that they share with pretty much everyone else that they know, and that's sort of what brings everyone down, and what people are trying to get through in their own existence is getting through these problems, and it's why it's usually comes to the conclusion that the reason why this stuff happens is the reason why we decide to go to war and why we decide not to agree with each other, why we have borders and all the separation as opposed to like, but the thing is that if they try to assimilate everybody, that's also a really bad thing because then no one has their individuality. So it's like they show you the two extremes and none of the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was going to say like that 100%, you know, uh, humanity finding these things and bringing them in and then ultimately making them the demise as, it perfectly sums up like the H bomb. You know? Yeah, we yeah. have this power and we could use this. Yeah, exactly. Should we? Yeah. You know, the thing is, like the. I mean, I think it was. Oh, you mean like when they made the atomic bomb and yeah. he was like yeah. doing all the fucking quotes? Oppenheimer was so regretful. Right. <laughs> like as soon as it was done, he was like, "Fuck, we shouldn't have done this. Yeah. We shouldn't have done <laughs> yeah. this. Like, why do we do this?" Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but his, I, I love his quote from it. I, I would have to find it exactly. I'm gonna go find it. It's too good. Do it. Find it. Yeah. I will uh, wait for you. Yeah, it's it's a sen- <laughs> <laughs> so when they were making it halfway through making the atomic bombs, they uh, more than one of the scientists had really, really regretful um, feelings towards making the atomic bomb because they thought they were having a breakthrough in science. Time. Oh yeah, so this is great. So basically, the first atomic bomb was successfully detonated on July sixteenth, nineteen forty-five. In the Trinity test in New Mexico, Oppenheimer later remarked that it brought to mind words from the Bhagavad, I'm sorry, Bhagavad Gita. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Is huh. essentially what he decided to fucking do. Damn. <laughs> he was just like, wow. this is terrible. We shouldn't have done this. Um, and then we fucking nuked Japan twice. So yeah, what? I immediately regret <laughs> making this. <laughs> and well, essentially what happened during that time was all the scientists regretted everything, but then they silenced like everybody and just continued with what they were doing. And so, but it's a good example of humans being terrible people and deciding to do something like that. And apparently now we have things that are like a thousand times stronger than that, like the fucking hydrogen bomb and things like that. We're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> They're just sitting in some silo somewhere. Yep. <laughs> just waiting for their day. That's the scariest thought that like just Donald like Trump the has of fucking darkness. nuclear codes. Like that is the scariest shit for me. The true horror. The true horror is then what again, is waiting. Japan has Godzilla, so I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming for us. I really hope that they decide to make that shit real and just be like, you know what? I'm tired of all of you. Here's Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what I'd kill for some real kaiju fighting. Yeah. Just Yo. Out, out and out and like out in Fort and fucking. <laughs> Side note, go watch Pacific Rim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Fun times. Don't watch the sequel. But anyway. <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty much my, your final, fi- your final, yeah, thoughts? my final thoughts on it. It, it was uh, it's worth the watch because of the larger themes that you get through it. And it really makes you start thinking afterwards as opposed to what you're watching then. But I think that was sort of his intention. It almost seems like other things are supposed to be connected to it. 
and that this was such a small piece of the larger story that he was creating um, because like the story that the girl was reading from that explains the whole part about Jesus uh, she was like only like 15 pages into it and that's a big ass book that she was like trying to translate and she never finishes translating it so I'm like I have to assume that there's way more shit in that and there's probably other stories along with it so it's cool that he didn't give you everything and he didn't make you feel dumb you know when there's movies that like they take 15 20 minutes to explain every single fucking thing and it's mm. like a intro tutorial to a game where you're like just let me skip this shit yeah exactly <laughs> i feel like i feel like a lot of times like in film and in fiction in general you can kind of like see leave some stuff unexplained and your audience will do what they can to yep. rationalize it if it's good enough they'll do the logicalize it if that's a if that's a word, I don't think that's actually a word. You really need to mean. tell the audience things that are like super pertinent to yeah. what the story is. Like it's funny that I mentioned Pacific Rim, but they do it yeah. in the beginning where they explain how the robots work, how the fucking were the Jaegers? Yeah. How that's they end called. up how they end up working with two people. They explain that in the beginning that there's like a like a link between the people, and it explains that they have to be close. They have to be like brothers, family, lovers, things like that. And so it can't just be any random. Unless you're fucking Pentecost who carries nothing into the drift. But there is cool shit like that included in all of them. And it's interesting nonetheless to go and watch it. Um, but what was the next movie that we talked about? What's the one that you watched, Mitch? I watched In the Mouth of Madness, which was released in 1994. It was actually released in Italy two months, uh, two, three months prior to the American release. Shit. Interesting. I don't know why they did that. Yeah. It, uh, it only made $0.8 million <laughs> oh. of its $9 million budget. It, wait. It did not wait. do very well. They spent, they spent, they spent fucking, they spent, I'm telling you right now, they spent, give me a moment. I got, I got this shit. I got this shit right here. All right. They spent $8 million on it and it, the box office made 8.9. They like just barely made a tiny oh, bit of profit okay. off of it. Okay, I thought you said point. Well, yeah, eight. I thought you said I was no, like, no, 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 no. They made no, no. nothing they only, back. They only on that. made point nine million profit. Okay. So yeah, but they eight point nine was the box office. The budget was eight million dollars. Good gotcha. Um, the big, the big. Uh, I think the biggest actor in here is probably Sam Neill, and you'll know him from Jurassic Park. Yep. Uh, as the as the paleontologist who, who cuts the fat kid open. I love that scene. I do too. Yeah, exactly. It's is Jurassic great. Park horror. Doctor Allen. I think so. Sure, we should fucking do Jurassic. Park. I think Jurassic Park is horror. I think we'll call yeah. it horror for today. Yeah. yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. We should also definitely do that. Horizon. Yeah. Oh yeah, for there sure. We go. Fuck yeah, hell I love yeah. Event Horizon. I approve of all these movies. But so 1994 was when it was uh, was released. Um, but it wasn't technically released until February of 95 in the U.S. But yeah, whatever. So the movie itself uh, is a huge Lovecraft love fest. It is basically just a large collage to the love of well, even the name Lovecraft. Yeah, even like even the name in the mouth of madness is relative to like Lovecraftian. It's at what's that story at the at the mountain of madness? At the mountain of madness. Yep, that is one of the is the story from H.P. Lovecraft. Yep, that is definitely one of them. It actually has um a bunch of because well. I'll, I'll, let's get into the plot. I'll get yeah, into the plot yeah, of what, what the happens? movie is actually about. So essentially, it starts off with uh, the main character's name, who's played by Sam Neill. Excuse me, his name is John Trent, right? It's the most basic name you can think of. So John Trent is basically meeting with one of his... Uh, he's an insurance investigator, and he's meeting up with this man who runs a publication based out of New York called Arcane Publications. Already, we're getting spooky. Yeah. <laughs> That's originally what H.P. Lovecraft released his shit on. Yeah. He, he would yeah. give it to, like, a newspaper. Yeah, exactly. He would do a newspaper sort of deal. And so the uh, the author in question is Sutter Kane. 
So he's sort of like a kind of like a what a good like name. A, yeah, what a, a great name for someone. So Sutter Kane, and he's sort of like a Stephen King, H.P. Lovecraft figure. Right. And a lot of all the stories center around this one setting called um, Hobbs uh, Hobbs Vale. It's like Hobbs Lane, I believe, is what it's called. But I'm probably wrong on that. Hobbs End, excuse me. It's called Hobbs End is the name of the uh, the setting that most of his stories are centered around. And so a lot – when he's talking to this guy, a man comes through with an axe into the room, <laughs> smashes through the window, looks at him and just goes, have you read Sutter Kane? Oh, and then, oh, like, is, and he tries to, like, basically put an axe through John Trent and then two cops out of fucking nowhere just gun this guy down, <laughs> wow. like, in the middle of this restaurant. And Did they then, shoot him? Yeah, they shoot him dead. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. And so basically it goes it goes to that. And then um well after after that he's like, Oh my god. And he starts investigating this Sutter Kane man because there's a bunch of a like reported things of people who read his books who go crazy okay. after reading them. Nice. So essentially so he you know, he starts investigating, he's like, This must be a publicity stunt. I don't know what's going on. So he reads all of Sutter Kane's books. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> fuck yes. Amazing. He, he goes dives in. He goes through them and he starts finding red lines that are in all of the covers of the books. And he starts cutting them apart and putting them together. And then they become a section of the map of New Hampshire. And he believes that it is supposed to be where Hobbs End is located, the fictional setting. Okay. Oh, wow. So that's, so that's where it goes. And so he goes on a quest with his other, like, reporter friend. Uh, she's She's – I don't remember her name and she doesn't have like a huge portion of it. She's just kind of a partner that's with him that sort of like counteracts his ideas and whatnot. The movie doesn't happen in chronological order either. It starts off with John Trent being in an insane asylum covered in ink and whatnot and like kind of just muttering to himself. And then it like flashes back. So majority of the movie is in flashbacks. Okay. So what he does is he goes on this, uh, on this quest to find Hobbs end. So they're kind of like they're wandering around trying to find it. They can't, really quite find it like i don't think this place actually exists does it really exist and then they eventually go through like while one evening they eventually find a turn that goes into hobbs end and they cruise on in there and uh they've come to this very like interestingly odd town kind of quiet kind of small town looking it's got like a, a cute little black church in it that says like golden steeples and whatnot which All right. uh you'll see that uh that john trent will comment that this is like a, one of the pages from one of his books this is descriptions of his books this town feels like it was out of one of his books um yeah the people of the town there are also very very strange as well so he goes around there he investigates the church and then um he's looking for sutter kane He's looking to, like, talk to the actual author because he, he's convinced this whole thing is a publicity stunt. And he's just, like, making shit up. And this is just silly. Right. Sort of deal. So they go there, uh, investigate the town. Um, one of my favorite scenes is they meet uh, the it's, – it, it's a lady played by the actress uh, Frances Bay. If you guys know who Frances Bay is, she was – uh, she was in it. She's like she was in Happy Gilmore. She's Happy Gilmore's uh, grandma in so. that one. Okay. So okay. that little that little lady, and she's just like she's just like the bell lady at the hotel that they go oh, to. Oh, gotcha. To stay at, and um, her name is the same as one of the characters in the book. Oh, sick. and so they like go upstairs, and he starts talking to his partner. He's like, that name is directly out of like the Sword and Sutter Kane's books. Um, like she like hacks her husband into pieces with an axe. <laughs> wow. So like pretty soon, like I'm pretty sure like that woman is like crazy. Oh and... my God. Please tell me she's crazy. And she tries to kill oh, him. Oh, it's so axe. good. Anyway. So, <laughs> like, so like later on, he's like talking to her, his partner disappeared. She ends up disappearing. Um, at one point, cause she's like convinced like, no, nah, everything is fine. And he was just like, no, this is, we're living in reality right now. So one of the big points is like, you know, what is reality? What's not when they enter Hobbs, Hobbs end. Okay. <laughs> So it's like a big like what is reality, what is not. 
sort of deal. And it like occupies a section of New Hampshire. So they go, um, they go there. Uh, a lot of the uh, names of Sutter and Kane's books are also direct references to HP Lovecraft books, which is a, uh, I have like a whole list of their, of their names and whatnot here, but I'm taking 10,000 years to find them because they're right here. There we go. Give me a moment. So like they have one that's like the whisperer in the dark, which is a play on the whisperer in darkness. And then the thing in the basement, the thing on the doorstep, haunter out of time, like the, the haunter of the dark. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like the Hobbs End horror, the Dunwich horror. So it's a big like yep. it's a big play on the Dunwich sort of idea that Lovecraft has okay. a lot of his stories in. Um, so they go there. Um, later on, um, he's like talking to the lady, and she like kicks something that's behind like the bell, the bell tower, and it like yes. grunts a bit. And he's just like gets closer, and she's like, "What can I help you with? You have everything that you need. I don't think you need anything you else here." Pay attention to the noises that is coming from this little thing. Right yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> and then the pam camera pans down beneath her, and there's this naked old man like chained to her leg. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so Francis Bay, the sweetest looking little old lady, and with like kind of like yeah. circles under her eyes, is just crazy. <laughs> so eventually. It, the movie's very strange in that it basically is like essentially is that Hobbs End is like the accumulation of of all of like Sutter and Kane's ideas. So all of okay. his books that he writes come to life in this in this town of Hobbs End. Gotcha. And he's basically working with like Lovecraftian like eldritch gods, and yes. he's doing their bidding by writing these stories. I like that. Wild. So he like hauls up inside this like pitch black church with like the golden steeples and whatnot, which is a description for one of his books. They go there um, and, like, try to encounter him. And there's, like, a couple guys that live in the town that show up with shotguns, like, ready to take this guy down. Because they don't like what's going on oh, with the damn. church. They don't like how things are happening. And it's uh, and then he sticks, like, a bunch of German shepherds on them, I think is what they are. They're Dobermans, I think. So, like, a group of, like, five Dobermans, like, get sicked on them and they all run away, essentially. Um, but, like, bits from the book start playing out. So, like, one of the farmers that was in front of the church ends up, like, offing himself in front of Trent. Um, Trent encounters, like, a group of, like, crazed villagers that, like, hack people to pieces and whatnot in the middle of the streets. Goddamn. So um, it's, like, it's a lot of uh, what he writes in stories is just coming up in front yeah, of Yeah, yeah, they, they come up in this town and, like, manifest. And, like, the uh, you find out that the guy that wielded the axe that attacked him was actually the editor for Sutter Kane. Was wow. his editor. So his editor went fucking crazy and then went after him. So it spreads outside because they take – it's in New York when they start. So from New Hampshire to New York. So oh. that's kind of the idea. God damn. So it kind of takes place with this, like, these these uh, fantasy elements of Southern Kane's um, story spreads out to the rest of the world. Gotcha. That's the kind of idea. So, I mean, one of my one of my favorite scenes is where he meets Sutter Kane, and Sutter Kane's there with his typewriter just typing up stories, like, very, very happily. And there's this big slimy door that's, like, bending inward towards him and whatnot the whole time and he's just like oh yeah the elder gods like demand that i do this i do this for them oh what sort of idea thing things That's like that great. and so they will envelop the world using my stories and like as you know as the works okay so <laughs> so he ended up being sort of like their conduit into the world and yeah. like mm -hmm. releasing everything they could through his oh, stories that's yeah. cool and they did it through the literature so i like that yeah and they yeah and they do it through literature and so um so trent basically encounters like 
there a bunch of just freakish things happen there like like people's faces start becoming more distorted looking oh, like man. a lot of like the cops are like after everyone in that town too the cops are all corrupt and then they look at each other they have like big gnarly pig faces they're all like scarred up and stuff <laughs> So there's another like you know I love the running theme across all media. Cops that are bad. Cops are either bad or they get turned into literal pigs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Duke Nukem had it. Um, I fucking love that. Like all of them turned into like warthogs and pigs and shit, and like that was them through oh. the whole game. Oh That's my god. Super super interesting. Um, I remember one of the scenes that I like a lot is that there's this. Like I, I I read a lot. I've read a lot of Lovecraft, so I love the Same. idea of like people who are kind of like the warped deep ones, like the fish people. Yeah, who have like the fangs and like like the gills and everything. And there's like a scene where like there's a group of children that are all just like staring at at, at Sutter and yep. his like his. He gets back with his partner again at this point, who's with him, and she starts going like cuckoo while she's there. She starts going kind of crazy and like manipulating like the drive, like the car that they're driving and stuff, to the point where he gets in an accident. Um. But this little girl walks up and she has these really sharp teeth and her face is all scut up and she's just like, it's mommy's time now. <laughs> sort of. Oh, that's the picture you showed me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fucking creepy. <laughs> um, so and, the practical effects yeah. are pretty good? Yeah. The practical effects are pretty are pretty awesome in it. I liked it. Um, there's a part where this guy, one of the farmers, like offs himself and he says that this is because that's how it is in the book. Oh, fuck. This is what the story demands. And then he Very just blows meta. his head off. Yeah. Very meta. Yeah. The music in it, very uh, like eighties metal, what? like eighties hard rock 80s metal. Like the metal. first, like the first, like opening thing is a super like electric guitar riff that sounds almost like it could have been like a Metallica song. Nice. It could have been, but maybe a little bit more melodic. I would say, but Metallica's kind of melodic. Did whatever. The music for that one, do you know? John Carpenter he and Jim Lang. Jim oh. Lang and John Carpenter. Those are two. I don't know much about Jim Lang, but I know John Carpenter. So gotcha. And John Carpenter likes metal. I know he does. Yeah, for sure. I'm so, just convinced he likes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about that, like, synthwave and whatnot is basically just metal, yeah, but electric. Yeah. <laughs> synthwave nowadays, same fan base as metal metal fans Yeah, nowadays. Yeah. It's just made with guitars. Man, I listen to so much fucking synthwave at work. Oh, sh- <laughs> So, <laughs> before before I, like, I would like to get back to, like, this relates to the apocalypse as well. Right. Because this, uh, this fiction is spreading throughout the world and infecting people, so... Essentially, once, like, the story concludes basically with um, John Trent being chased by these, like, eldritch beings. So, like, this is where they really ramp up, like, the practical effects by having these big slimy tentacly monsters chasing after him and whatnot. And then he, like, runs out of the city, gets out of Hobbs End and, like, walks fucking back to New York. And, like, eventually he shows up outside of a similar diner and sees a guy reading a Sutter and Kane novel. And he's just like... Have you read Sutter Kane? And then he just like like kills the guy with an axe. Oh, it goes full circle. <laughs> yeah, it goes Fuck. full circle like that as well. And um, he then ends up. That's how he ends up in the insane asylum. And he's like trying to tell them like you know Sutter Kane's like yeah, yeah they're the welder ones but are coming for you. They don't it's coming, him. and nobody believes him. And then like during like the night, he hears a bunch of screaming and like lightning and stuff. He can't get out of his cell. And then his like he gets out, and just everyone in the like the, the city's gone. Oh shit. And he just walks wow. through. It's all been like dilapidated. There's blood all over the place, but no bodies. And oh. he just like walks. God he just damn. like walks out after like he wipes all the ink off of his face and everything and just kind of like saunters out of the insane asylum. <laughs> it's a wild movie, but I enjoy it. It was a lot of so, fun. So is that how it ends? He just walks out. Yeah, away? he just walks out and then the movie ends like that. Fades to black. Yeah, wow. basically, as the world is done. That reminds me of like the ending of Did you guys see the movie The Crazies? Uh I feel like George Romero had something to do with that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he totally did. It was essentially like um, 
zombie apocalypse happening, mm-hmm. but the government figured out how to quarantine cities. And so because these two people escape into a new city, it like zooms out and shows them getting ready to quarantine the city they just went into. So basically all the hell that they went through for that, for that film mm-hmm. is about to happen to them again. Yeah. Oh. And so this like this really ties in with the apocalypse though. So it really like this one was really direct about it. You know, I like, love that it's literature though. It's like mm-hmm. not a normal medium, not a virus, not something that you could get from another beam. Yeah, not you know a plague. Usually mm. found in almost everyone's home. So it's like it's easy to get, and it's not. Uh, it's it's like perverting the idea that like books are almost always good knowledge. That's the idea that H.P. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft was always getting at. Was yeah. that. Once you got certain knowledge, it was too much and it would drive you crazy. And yeah. That was the idea behind like the cosmic horror from these eldritch beings that yeah. would speak to you. Yeah, essentially, yeah, essentially, it follows a very Lovecraft. This is just a love letter to H.P. Lovecraft yeah. in a movie form. That's really what it felt like to me because every all of the book references, like the way everything is stylized, um, like the feeling of like being the only one that's being excluded from the group and having like the public, the, the general populace against you sort of idea, as well as the discovering unknown knowledge that drives you mad. And then, you know, and then comes full circle as well. You become the monster that you're investigating or that you're trying to fight as well. And that's a very Lovecraftian theme. But I, I really actually really enjoyed this movie. and It, yeah. it does it in a tasteful way. Yeah, it does. It does. I think it was very fun. It was a very fun movie. A good love letter to it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, don't trust the local goth girl at your Barnes and Noble. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. No, she's she's up to no good. Up to no good. <laughs> definitely. She's definitely Kane? gonna sacrifice. Have yeah, you ever read Sutter Kane? <laughs> I should just say that to somebody random and see if they get it. Oh my god. <laughs> this also reminds me of the episode we did before. Uh, it was it was episode nine. Mm-hmm. We did From Beyond and a study in Emerald. Oh yes, 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 yes. A study oh. in Emerald was totally. <laughs> I love Study in Emerald. It's a very cool book. A Study in Emerald was like an alternate reality, basically, yeah. where the a pastiche. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the yeah. word. It's a pastiche. Yeah, it was very. We learned that. We learned yeah. that freaking word. <laughs> it's essentially just making a story inside of a story. Well, then, a story in the style of. Yeah, in the style of. Yeah, it's like a nice. Yeah. Paying tribute. Have to you? That. Uh, are you familiar with that one, Murray? Uh, a Study in Emerald. I have not seen uh, that one. So it's basically. Uh, uh, it's, it's a short story. Yeah, it's a oh. short story, but it's okay. basically like a Sherlock Holmes story told like as if Sherlock Holmes is working for the great old ones. Yep. And it's written like a Lovecraftian story. Oh, wow. It's yeah. badass. Check it out. Really Highly cool. recommend checking is out. Is it the a movie co- at all? Or just no, a it's just a short story. Okay, cool. A little yeah. short reading. Essentially what happens is one of the old ones gets killed while they're mm-hmm. visiting another old one. Which is hilarious because uh, one of the great old ones is the Queen of England. Uh, <laughs> so it's a great critique of the Queen during that time. Sweet. And so somebody visiting, which I can only assume was like the German version of one of the old ones, went to go visit, but he gets murdered. And so the Queen pulls in Sherlock Holmes and is like, I need you to figure out what happened here. And so he goes and investigates what happens. But it, like they're all well aware that the the old ones are alive and they take over the world basically. Wow. What is the uh, well? I mean, because he's working for them, so he's like on the side of the great old ones. Yeah, and then he's basically working against humanity, who's trying to bring them down. Yes, exactly. And it follows the same story as the as a study in Scarlet or a yes, it's what is called a study in Scarlet, which is just which is an actual like uh, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes story. story. So they so mash it, up those two things. Yeah, they just make a direct copy but flip it you ever, on the opposite. Uh, have you ever thought about doing a short story uh, episode? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we really... just yeah we just did one. We're we're more than open to doing literature. 
Okay. Absolutely. Cool. We did uh, the Animatrix, which is an anthology of short stories. Okay. Um, have you, have but but literature short stories would be awesome. We did something like have that. Have you guys ever read uh, I Have No Mouth But I Need to Scream by Harlan Ellison? I don't no. think so. It's like 10 pages. It was made in the 70s. Uh, basically a sci-fi dystopian. Hell yeah. Uh, yes, please. Can I have that? I want it's, it. Oh, I it's a great read. I'm, I'm gonna. gonna I'll, we should right, definitely cool, do yeah. something yeah, like we'll, that. Yeah, we'll 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 definitely yeah. Check that one out. Uh, if you read, if you're hearing the podcast, that's a good. It's a great one. Ten pages. You can't go wrong. I know. I know. We wanted to do something like uh, something wicked this way comes, and like other things that are similar to that. Put them together. Yeah, should do that, both of that those, should maybe. work out fun. pretty well for yeah. something like that. I'm in, I'm in the need for a good is new it lit one. Strictly sci-fi, or is it horror as well? Uh, it, it is a sci-fi. It's a little bit horrific because there's there's a lot <laughs> of scenes of things happen. torture. There's a oh, lot. Of, gotcha. There's okay. a lot. The, the, there's actually a game that was made on it. It takes the themes from the ten pages. What was the, the game? Backlog. It was made for PC like back in the nineties. But hmm. they go in. There's like five characters in the in the short story, and okay. they are being controlled by a computer. All right. And it's just the qu- computer wants to shut off, but doesn't because he has five people to torture when everyone else in the world's dead. So he, he's just like, yeah, you know, I could stop doing this, but then what are you guys going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that makes sense. All right. Did yeah, you, uh... The video game definitely uh, expanded upon that, goes into each individual person's anxieties and fears and all that, and it's it's intense. Sounds interesting. We'll definitely take a look at it. I mm-hmm. want to do some more short stories, especially for Same. literature. I feel like that'll be a good one along with the other one that you just mentioned. Um, we also did uh, Scary Stories Tell in the Dark. Yes. That was a fun episode, yeah, honestly. Yeah, we, we did that one. We had Dorian singing some of the melodies in it, and then we did the film yeah. that came out afterwards. We did an episode for that one mm-hmm. as well. I haven't seen the film yet. It's too. actually good. Yeah, it's fucking good. Actually good. <laughs> it's not terrible. They're very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Especially if you go in with like, low expectations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We went in, like I was going in going like, eh, this yeah, might not be that exactly. good. And it was actually, I, I had, I had a blast. Really good. It was fun. Did you have any final thoughts on that movie? If you love Lovecraft. Yeah. And it. you'd like watching the guy from Jurassic Park like go completely nuts. Nice. <laughs> then that is a movie you want to watch. Yeah. yeah. If you want to watch Sam Neill go crazy and you love Lovecraftian themes and just like weird like spooky stuff, it's ominous and uh, giant crazy tentacle monsters and creepy children with shark teeth, then watch this He's fucking movie. He's got the face for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like uh, who is the, who's the guy who plays Green Goblin in Spider-Man? Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. Willem Dafoe has that fucking face where, like, he just looks like he would be nuts in any character that he tries to play in. Probably the nicest guy ever. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's probably like super nice. But uh, I really liked whenever he did the weird smile. Oh yeah, and like you see all of his teeth and shit. So he's in like he's in like he was in like Antichrist, that fucking uh, Lars von Trier film. It's a fucked up movie. He's in a (laughs) lot of Wes Anderson movies. Hell yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. He really is. Yeah, I loved his character in uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. He was. The guy with the motorcycle and the yep. leather, yeah, just trying to kill all our main characters. He's always punching people. <laughs> that was like the thing that happened in that film, which is really funny. I have to say though, I really like the poster for In the Mouth of Madness mm-hmm. because it looks like a classic uh, storybook, like mm-hmm. literature book you pick up like in the eighties or maybe even before. It's got like that. the investigator outside the house with like yes. the flashlight. It looks it yeah. looks like a Lovecraftian sort of like yeah. thing. Yeah, they like definitely all those made Arkham a poster like that. And so I really enjoy that they did something like that. I like the poster for your movie. It was very creepy. Oh yeah. The Prince of Darkness one is it's it's pretty good. Um and then of course I love the poster for the thing. Yeah. It's, it's classic. Uh, the, like just the outline, the image of like you just know what that is. 
And that's the thing. Uh, it took the painter 24 hours to do that. I believe that. This and was also when they were like commissioning artists to make paintings for their posters. I think I heard that they weren't initially pleased with it, but they didn't have time to do anything else. So they were just like, that's what we got. Let's go. Let's roll it. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an awesome poster. It is. And it's crazy because it doesn't really reflect the thing at all. No, it doesn't and reflect what it is at the all. The thing was, John Carpenter said, if, we're going to make this movie. But if we're going to make this movie um, – comparative to like uh the 1950 version with uh, what is it, the thing that came from outer space mm-hmm. we can't have a guy in the suit if we have a guy in the suit they're gonna fucking laugh at us <laughs> and uh that that poster is a guy in a suit <laughs> yeah it's, it a, it's literally a guy in his snow gear with light coming out from his face um and so it, it does kind of make you believe that it's a little more sci-fi than anything else but then he but it's so iconic at this point now to get something like that it, it, i'm looking up at the posters on my wall because i have the army of darkness one the blade runner and the original star wars and they're all painted they were all like originally oh, yeah. painted they weren't like photographs or anything taken and so they survived that time but also specify a certain time period where movies were being made when they were commissioning artists and paying a lot of fucking money for these things it's like conan the barbarian i think was another one mm-hmm. the oh, movies, that's a very painted looking they had very very well painted posters for it so i appreciate the, the work they put into it i don't much like the new posters unless for some reason i really like modern minimalist posters i can understand that i really like when people redesign posters and make them really minimal it yeah <laughs> it, just, it just says it on it there you go get it how, i think it has like a single red balloon and it's just it how were the title cards for your guys's movies were they oh mine was interesting and, yeah um uh, well so so they spend I don't know, like seven, eight minutes on the intro stuff. Like you get just at the beginning, like five seconds in, it's like John Carpenter film. And then like two minutes of the film pass. And then it's like, here's the director and the music. And then like another two minutes passes. And then it's like, here's the art directors. And they did that. They like extended it out all the way through the intro. They didn't just let it continuously play over something. Mm-hmm. It would cut to black and show the name. It, oh, wow. it it kind of did the same thing. It started off like a black, like a black, and then you have that, like you have like this, like totally like eighties metal like song going on in the background, like super like like cool guitar work and stuff like that. Very not synthy, like what I would normally expect, but like right. a good kind of hybrid of those two things. So you can definitely tell it's Carpenter. You'd be like, yeah. this is definitely Carpenter's music that he's doing. It's great. Um, and then it kind of like it kind of just fades into like the corporate setting of you know where you know where the main character is walking around his building and meeting oh, gotcha. up with his people and then it kind of then it gets into the him going to the uh, to meet up with his client in the diner thing yeah in the diner yeah in the diner exactly does it come up after the diner scene or no after that no it's kind of like it, it's way before the diner oh, scene okay. and then it ends and then when he's like sitting in the diner there's no more cards after that I see. yeah um mine. For the thing, it was just, you know, black, directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell. Yeah. And then they have the infamous, the burning uh, title card, The Thing. And how they got that effect was they used a goldfish, not a goldfish, sorry, a fish tank. And then they etched out the thing in glass on a piece. And then they got, they put a, uh, what is it, garbage bag over it. And they took a lighter and burnt, and then they put light through the garbage bag and then lit it on fire. And when it burned, it had that ominous blue light, and they added the music to it. Wow, that's super cool. That's awesome. I'm so yeah. glad that you, it, like, figured that out. He was, he <laughs> he was just cool. like, the effects person who did that, he was like, yeah, it, it was 
it was really cool. Like we did that in like two minutes. And I was like, what? how do you think about that? How do you think <laughs> the work ethic of the past. Yeah, for real. Yeah, really though. Yeah, no, that was great. And then uh, it cuts to the UFO coming down. So it gets right to it. Very cool. Um, I feel like we're kind of at the wrapping up yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts about any of the movies? Any themes, things like that? Um, I feel like I feel like the theme of, of of authority, you know, being evil, is present in all of them. The theme of you know humanity destroying others. The theme of like you know of like man made things, or man caused things destroying mankind itself is a huge is a huge thing. Absolutely. Um, I feel like the Apocalypse trilogy as a whole is definitely worth a watch, though. Definitely worth a watch if you like horror and whatnot. At least for at least for the thing and Mouth of Madness, in my in my opinion, I did not see Prince of Darkness, but it sounds yeah. like it's worth watching for the themes. Yeah, I watched in or Mouth of Madness a long yeah. time ago, um, mm-hmm. so I didn't rewatch it. But I did rewatch the thing, and then I watched Prince of Darkness. Uh, I watched the thing because it's one of my favorites. It's been Same. one of my favorites for a long time. Um, and John Carpenter has always been holding himself as a really good director. Um, and he's unique because he's a director and a composer. So he, he's able to blend those two things together, which I think are probably the most important bits where he's a director and he's able to create the the tone of the movie through his music. And so he has a lot of control over how you're going to feel about his films. And so this he, he had to really come out and tell people, like, hey, this is actually like a spiritual trilogy that I made mm-hmm. and explained why and sort of. So you can go and watch like, an hour long thing where he explains all the connections oh, and wow. tells you like why it's connected, why he made it this way. Um, I didn't watch it because I wanted to come up with my own things for it, but it's still worth a Google search to go figure out what exactly he has to say about these things Definitely. because he loves to sit for interviews. He usually will tell people everything they want to know about what his work and loves talking about it. I think a polar opposite to David Lynch. Who's yeah. Just like, Figure it out. The fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I'm not going to fucking tell you. He's like, you can go ask the f- special the effects film. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you watch the film? I was like, Obviously you didn't watch Zodiac. Yeah, anyway. You didn't watch the film. <laughs> Overall, uh, I love the thing. I can't wait to watch both of the other movies that came with it oh yeah for sure definitely take the time you don't have to watch them all in one night you can watch it like you know a couple nights between each other because they're not related really to each other it's more of like the crossing of themes and ideas and stuff like that definitely so it'll work out but before i let everyone go i just want to remind everyone that we're super easy to find we're on all the streaming services so we're on the main ones we're on itunes we're on spotify we're on google play music as well as iHeartRadio and soundcloud which is our main place that we put up the podcast we have our Instagram and we have our Facebook page as well. And they can all be found by Google searching Bringing Down the Grindhouse. And this will take you directly to all of our main pages. We love getting comments and interactions on there. We will most likely go on there and argue with you <laughs> and yes. comment. But we love when somebody comes on there and tells us that we're wrong so that we can start explaining and getting into it. And we always miss things whenever we're in these podcasts. I think of stuff all the time when I leave the podcast and I'm like, we should have talked about this. So there's always things we're willing to discuss and definitely message us. We like getting the attention. (laughs) But thank you guys so much for coming out and I hope everyone has a good night. Stay spooky. Thank you for having me on, boys.